Hey everyone, welcome back to Guards of Eden. Today's guest is Brandon Flood. I described being introduced to Brandon as a happy accident, and another one has occurred with the episode being released this week. This week is Mental Health Awareness Week in 2021, and the conversation around men's mental health has always been really important to me, and not only is it my voice sharing my story with mental health, but also providing a platform for other people to share their story. Brandon's absolutely phenomenal with the way that he's vulnerable and open about the battle that he's gone through and just all these different battles that he's been faced with. Being able to be vulnerable about sharing that story, which he does in this episode, not only just in this episode, but with his platform in general. And you'll soon learn why I have this profound, deep respect and admiration and an affinity to who Brandon is and what he's he does with his platform. We cover a bunch of topics that are largely taboo, I think, or at least topics that aren't covered enough when it comes to the conversation of men's mental health and mental health overall. So it was a, it was a legitimate privilege. It was a true honor to actually just hear Brandon be honest, vocal, vulnerable about his journey. And yeah, I just cannot speak highly enough about the human being that he is. So please check out the show notes and follow Brandon's story and see what he's got going on. But without further ado, three, two, one, let's go. Hey, Brandon, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm, I'm excited to be on the call with you now. Yeah, me too. Um, before we even get into anything, learning about your story was just surreal. I'm really grateful. I kind of, it was like a, a happy accident stumbling across your story and what you do and yeah, I'm how, just, how did that actually come about? I'm curious how, how you stumbled across that. So I think it was through Matchmaker, the the radio right. app with the podcast guests. Um, right. And then, yeah, me just being geeky after that, I saw that you you were there and kind of looked into your story and just was just in awe and then obviously asked you and got to de- delve even deeper and then got to learn a bit more, like even more about you and now kind of the final level of actually learning even more about you, which it's been amazing up to this point. So I actually can't wait. I think that's the best part about social media, the, the connections you can develop from you're, you're in London, I believe, right? Yeah, that's right. From across, across the globe, just from, you know, a happy accident, like you said, scrolling across a, a weird page that you don't normally see every day. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, um, yeah, I can't wait for this. So I'm really grateful for your time. Appreciate that. The first question is one question I ask everybody and that's because we have a Spotify playlist which is the Guards of Eden soundtrack so Brandon can you give me a song that reminds you of a good memory or simply makes you happy as soon as I read the question one song came right into my head it was Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac I just remember my parents always blasting this in the kitchen when they were doing dishes or when we were growing up and uh, I think the song I kind of relate to it now in a different respect. Like I believe the song is about a breakup mm-hmm. between the guy and the girl, but now I kind of look at it more as just going my own way. And uh, I'm not so much involved in trying to do the things that I, other people think I should be doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm just kind of going where, where my heart feels like my intentions are pointed towards and just finding, finding life out on my own way now. I love it. So that is going to uh-huh. live on the Spotify playlist, which <laughs> right the on. notes. And that will be there. Yeah. Right. Brandon, I believe this was just through research, but am I right in saying that you were born and raised in Winnipeg? 
Partially. I was mostly raised here. I think I've spent most of my life in Winnipeg, uh-huh. but I was born in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. So that's one province over to the West. Sure. Um, yeah, my childhood, my, my father was in the military from 17 years old till he retired in 58. So we moved a lot. Every two or three years, we were in a different spot in Canada. So growing up, I went to a lot of schools to finish my grade 12. I have friends all over the place, but I don't really have that those long, deep-seated roots where you see someone at the grocery store that you used to go to school with in grade one or two. Like I, I've never really experienced that. Yeah. So there's been some some positives and negatives to that experience. Um, it was definitely something I didn't want to put my family through growing up. Mm. I thought it was a good experience, but the moving around, I wanted my kids to kind of have um, more stability in their development, I think. How would you describe what a young Brandon was like and how do you remember your childhood? I was, I could not sit still. So very similar to what I'm like now. I was always moving. We were building forts, uh, running track and field, playing sports. Baseball was big in my my early childhood. Um, the majority of my younger days were spent in Cold Lake, Alberta. So it's a small military town. But I mean, right outside the front door was the forest. So I mean, all the kids in the neighborhood, we were always being active, um, always outside. Again, it, it, cell phones and the internet weren't really around back then. So overall, it's a different experience for most kids. But I just remember always outside, always moving, always happy. Um, That was a big part of my childhood. Something that you've spoken briefly about, and I kind of want you to be as open as you wish, because I appreciate it's a sensitive topic. But Uh can you speak about as much as you wish, the experience that you had with your best friend's brother as you were growing up? I've, I've been dealing with this a, a, a long time, especially the last couple of years, a little more deeply um, with therapists and just spending some time going through my thoughts, but I'm getting a little more comfortable sharing things because I, I think it's important to learn from one another's experiences. And um, the statistics kind of point towards this being a lot more common than anybody really wants to admit or thinks. But yeah, when I was when I was 10, my best friend lived pretty much across the street. I could see his front door from my backyard and he had an older brother and his older brother always wanted to hang out with us. Um, he was in high school at the time and, you know, we were grade five. So 10 year old. We thought we were the coolest kids in the neighborhood because we're the only one hanging out with high school kids. So obviously the the level of influence there is going to be very strong in that dynamic of a relationship. But uh, over the course of, I think it was about probably six or seven months, he was uh, kind of sexually molesting and abusing us, um, myself and his brother. And the thing that I noticed looking back on it was the way that he would, he would encourage us to partake in these activities or to keep us quiet about it. He would always turn it into a game. Right. So, um, I think that's an easy way for someone to groom someone into their point of view, but turning it into a game kind of gave us an incentive to kind of win the game or, mm. or to keep his interest in us because we made, it made us feel cool that older, the older guy wanted to hang out with us. So this went over, you know, a long time. And a lot of those, a lot of those memories are very vivid. Like I remember the pattern on the couch, the color of the drapes, where the coffee table was, the setup in the house. Like there's just, and I don't remember those details of my own house at that time period. So it's very strange to think back on it and remember 
the little specifics of everything. And um, it, it eventually came to an end from my mom actually catching the three of us in the act in, in my own house in the basement, I believe. So that kind of um, started me on the journey of dealing with therapists and um, at 10 years old, discussing something like that with a therapist, I don't think, I, I'm not sure how effective that can be yet because you can't fully comprehend what have gone, what's gone on. And I remember for many years, I would always tell myself, well, that didn't even affect me. And I would just say, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones. I, I'm sure that happened, but I'm totally fine. And I kept telling myself that. But now looking back on the decisions that I made at 18, 19, in my early 20s, that definitely affected me. There was a lot of a lot of decision-making that stemmed from issues I suppressed from back then. But at the time going through it, you it's hard to pick up on, on those instances where there might've been some aftershock to what you were dealing with. So um, in getting more comfortable sharing with it, I know it's supposed to be, I think it's one in six guys are sexually abused at some point. And the funny thing is I've met a lot of people because I've lived in a lot of different places. I've had a lot of great friends. I don't know specifically anyone else that's had dealt with this, Mm. but the statistics of one in six means I probably do, but nobody's talking about it. So in me being open and honest about how it affected me and how it forced me into a path of making poor decisions in my development. Uh, I think it just brings awareness to someone else. And I really just want to catch the other guy that's still stuck in his ways in his twenties saying this didn't affect me, catch him, make him look back retrospectively and, and take a deep consideration. Is there something I could maybe be dealing with a little better? So that's my motivation and just sharing the story and trying to, explain how I dug myself out and became more self-aware. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's the goal with sharing it. Yeah. So firstly, I really appreciate you sharing it. Um, and being, mm-hmm. and yeah, cause there is, I, and I think the big take, like a big thing with people maybe saying that they didn't experience it. Um, it may just be almost like you said, it, like an avenue off of the idea that you said I was lucky, right? It didn't really impact me, and then it, it takes the reframing. Whereas there's maybe some some guys that it's happened to, and they've just gone. They just don't process like process it as some form of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. In terms of just being like, no, that was just that, and then you don't realize mm-hmm. until you've had the time and the the clarity to step away and kind of dissociate from the memory and be and say, oh no, that was really fucked up, like you know what i mean i think there's probably an element of that so you said that it didn't necessarily maybe it's set off in a delayed reaction right this idea that it maybe didn't in it maybe didn't impact you that you were conscious of it in 10 11 12 but it did end up manifesting in different ways at 18 19 20 mm-hmm. in what kind of ways did it manifest at that age that you can look back now and go oh okay because of what i experienced as a preteen, it actually impacted me as a late teen, early adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been funny. I, I look back at some of the things I'm maybe not proud of or some of the things that I thought I was doing that was different than other kids. Mm. And in chronological order, I can kind of pick out the big events in my life and tie it back to a feeling of not being confident or not feeling worthy of anything. And I think it started out with being younger, 
I, I think at 16, I had my dad co-sign to get my eyebrow pierced. And then I wore really spiky hair and I wanted to look intimidating. So I, at, at the age of 15 or 16, I'm immediately trying to put on this mask of I'm a tough guy. Don't mess with me. I need respect. <laughs> and that just, <clears throat> that really snowballed into not taking care of my body and um, having that desire to always feel like I'm respected from other people. So um, it, it started turning into working out. I wanted to put on some muscle, so I'm bigger and I, I'm more noticeable. And then it turned into, well, steroids. Let's, let's get even bigger because I like the attention I'm getting from girls now. I like the respect I'm getting from guys. So the steroids come on and then it's the tattoos and then it's the beard. And I'm just transforming myself into this big, mean looking but on the inside, I'm, I'm, I'm emotional, I'm compassionate, I'm, I'm caring, I'm loving. So it was really just a visual representation of the things I was lacking internally, I think. Mm. Um, and from there, it kind of gravitated into this drinking, uh, pretty heavy drug abuse. Uh, I've battled three, three different drug addictions in my past, um, selling drugs, taking unnecessary risks. And the, I... <laughs> The selling of the drugs was the funny one because the more I look back on it and the risks that I was taking, I wasn't making a ton of money. I was I was supporting my own habit, but I sold drugs to feel wanted. Right. People would call me. People wanted to see me. I was always busy on the weekend because I had my little rounds to go around and it made me feel important and valued by other people. So the fact that I would take the risk on my own life and my own freedoms to satisfy a need of feeling worthy, I can really relate that back to the experiences when I was 10 and mm -hmm. how that, that missed in my development as a man. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, so my, if I think about myself, there's so many, it's almost like that's like the guy handbook of like fulfilling self-worth, right? The, like just yeah minding go to to drug but yeah abusing alcohol going to the gym a lot you know growing a beard um like i did when i the first time i did it was maybe my second year of university so all these different things to either to fill some void of self-worth or yeah fill some sort of kind of you know fill the cup up of somewhere in your internal emotional well-being but it is funny that like you know we live we've you know grown millions of you know thousands of miles apart and yet it's like a handbook of like like crutches to lean on to like make yourself feel better as a man growing up this idea of, that, that yeah. means it's just it's so biologically natural for us if if we're that far apart and we experience the same feelings and developments it's 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 easy to slip into that yeah yeah and it's yeah, it just, it never shocked, it never, like, fails to surprise me, like, when you hear, you know, a guy go, yeah, man, I started going to the gym a lot, I started drinking a lot more, and just all these different things, and you're like, yeah, it's a shame that people, guys don't talk about it more, because it does seem to be, like, super, super prevalent in, like, guys' way of self-medicating, abusing the body in different ways, but very similar kind of modes to get there. 
That information is so difficult to translate to the younger generation, though, because when when we were in that spot, if we were listening to some old bearded dude like we are now (laughs) telling us, we're like, okay, buddy, you really have to experience it yourself. And the only luck that you have is how fast you can get through that that growth period. I got stuck in it for, you know, 12, 13 years. It's it's how fast you can develop and become self-aware, but nobody's going to tell you that message and it's not going to get received. It's always going to land on deaf ears until you experience it. Yeah, and a secondary point of that is this idea of what is the the human being that is transitioning on the other side? Like how much of you, your sane self, do you have by the time you realize like, oh, this is all bullshit and I need to start like getting my life together? Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's not even sometimes the, the duration of how long it takes to realize what you're doing, but mm-hmm. the actual just the end product of the human being before kind of transforming and having a positive uplifting moment is almost as key as well. Yeah. I I feel like the only part that makes it through that transition is your mindset and your soul. Even when I was younger, I I knew what I wanted and I, I I had good intentions, but now I just have the skills to act on that and make, make it become a reality. Whereas before I, I wasn't equipped to, to handle the things that I knew I needed to do. So I think it's just kind of like the, the soul and emotions that make it through, but your, your brain kind of catches up once you make that transition, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, mm. I wanted to cover this cause this is, this is another kind of almost taboo topic that maybe I know I'm, I get uncomfortable talking about it and it's not this, you know, deeply emotional topic, but it kind of provokes that you've mentioned that like at the age of 16, at 26, the age of 26, that you had to file for bankruptcy. Can you speak to that process and what kind of led to that that journey getting to that point? That was me paying the tab on a three or four year party streak. That was right. pretty much what that was. Um, early, t- uh, it was funny. I actually didn't drink till um, like a week before high school graduation. I never had a sip of alcohol till I was almost 18. But then it kind of snowballed into late blooming and missing out on some stuff, I guess, um, started smoking weed early twenties, turned into heavier drinking. And then, um, the cocaine came in. So it was a, a pretty hefty price tag on that on a weekly basis. I was making a lot of money. I, I worked a great job. I had a pension. I owned a, a business on the side. So I was making a lot of cash. I was probably, you know, 80, 90,000 a year in my early twenties. Wow. So a lot of money at that point when most people are still in school, mm. And it just gave me the ability to spend money, be in the bar, be noticed, pay for people's drinks. Um, I I had a car, I had a truck, I had a brand new motorcycle. I was spending money left, right and center. It didn't matter how much anything cost. If I could afford the monthly payment, uh, I'm good. I have more, more things that look flashy and look success, successful. And the bills just caught up to me. I didn't pay taxes on my business. Uh, Canada Revenue Agency wanted taxes. There was a lien out on my truck. I couldn't pay my bills anymore. I had lines of credits, uh, loans. So 26, the the easiest way out of that situation was move across the country to move in with my parents again, file bankruptcy, Mm. give everything back and kind of start fresh because I think I was about 60 or $65,000 in debt. Wow. So... um, that process, a little embarrassing to talk about for sure. Yeah. Um, 
I'm out of it now, which is great, but it's a long, it's a long road. It's about seven years on your credit score. Um, so they completely wiped all my debts. I had a year of monthly meetings to learn how to budget and finance. I had a cap on how much I could make gross income in a month. If I went over a specific number, I had to pay my bankruptcy lawyer company, um, 50 cents on every dollar. So I took a low paying job because I didn't want to just work for nothing. So that was a, a difficult year. And even in my late twenties, my mom is co-signing on my cell phone bill because I can't even get pre-approved for a cell phone. Like right. pre pretty embarrassing when all your friends are buying brand new cars and brand new houses and mortgages, and I can't even get the application on a cell phone. Yeah, right. So it was a long, long process. Um, I started taking my finances quite a bit more seriously in my early twenties. I started reading investing books, how to turn my credit score around. I bought a car at a pretty high interest rate just so I didn't have to ask my parents to co-sign and the high interest rate was my penalty for the poor credit, but it allowed me to build my credit. I never missed any payments. I made extra payments. I stayed on top of all my bills. I started investing. So the, the 180, my financial life has turned around in the past, you know, three or four years has been pretty incredible. We just bought a brand new house. I am on the mortgage. It didn't even come up on my score anymore. I, I'm able to do all the things that a normal adult has been able to do all their twenties. So it, that more than anything, because at the time when you file bankruptcy, you can't see seven, eight years down the road. You think it's the end, like you're the seven years. That's a long time, mm. but to be where I am now and look back and think it was so impossible to be here, just hang on figure your shit out. There's always room for improvement. Start reading, start. If you don't like something in your life, you can change it, but you need to put in the work. So I'm glad that I did that. And I'm, I'm so proud to be a homeowner now at 34. Uh, I feel blessed to experience everything else that most people get to do earlier in life. So the timeline is not important, but I, I made it here so other people can do the same. Yeah. And it just, once again, it like endears me to you again, is this idea of even your like inner strength to be able to verbalize the journey, right? Is this idea of, you know, it's it's like the biggest cliche in 2021 is that social media is like your highlight reel. And it's this idea <laughs> that you've really shown a journey from, you know, day one to present day in terms of in a variety of different areas in your life. So huh. being able to, you know, finance, I don't know what it is, but it's, just like even me like writing that question down, even me asking you it, it's like it makes me uncomfortable, this idea of discussing it. I think there's some, you know, there's some sort of taboo thing that's in my mind about talking about finance. But you being able to speak through that process is just, I believe it's really valuable because it's this idea of once you get to that stage of bankruptcy, that would be my thought. Like, if I personalized it, this idea of seven years is fucking ages. Like, I'm never going to get this back. But you are now where you are, which is incredible. Like, in my eyes, that's incredible. So it's why, it is the reason why I wanted to ask. Because, yeah, you've been able to show a journey once again. A journey within the great journey of life. Uh -huh. I think, yeah, the, the social media highlight reel, that's all great. But I, I want to know how you got to the highlight reel. And that's what I'm trying to share. Like... I, you can start with the shittiest hand you can be dealt and your mindset or you, your perception of it, you, you can change the way the cards are laid out. And I, I want to share that. So that the next guy that's 
just filed bankruptcy or can't make his payments, he's like, shit, that guy did it. Maybe I'll just see what he does on a daily basis and make some changes in my life. So that that's all it's about. It's embarrassing to talk about yeah. messing up your financial life in your early 20s, but there's value in that story. So I'm willing to be an open book to help the next guy. Yeah, and to kind of lend my vulnerability in it, I think this idea of there's another guilty part in this, for me anyway, is this idea that I've only really got my financials in in I guess a healthy state, you know, that's quote unquote, but this idea of, you know, I had an overdraft before the the coronavirus started, but because I've worked through it, I'm in a, a fairly okay-ish place for like uh-huh. a year. So uh-huh. I've constantly lived in overdrafts and lived in, well, I've got college debt. I mean, the greatest, the greatest debt that we kind of pretend isn't debt, but it is. Um, right. But that's me with having a job and, you know, not i guess yeah any like real life you know life hasn't thrown me anything which should cross me financially so there's even that gill right so yeah it's just a topic that i think is really important just because i I look at what you've built now and what you have with everything and it's this idea of it's incredibly powerful to know that you got to where you did in that period of time that kind of time duration because it's Mm-hmm. it almost it almost feels like there's no way in seven years that could happen but it's right. just it's in the best way i say that this it's great what you've kind of got and yeah it was why it was why i wanted to ask you about it, it it's the overnight success that took seven years to figure out absolutely right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um you spoke about meeting jess and I wondered if you could share that story because I really liked it when you told it on a different podcast. Initially, when I met her, I was introduced by the owner of the company. We kind of went through and I met everyone at the office. Mm-hmm. Jess was the interior design manager. Yeah. Um, I was still kind of in my party, drugs, alcohol phase. And um, I felt kind of like a hot shit because I just got a big promotion coming to this company. I'm making lots of money. So I felt good. But I, it was still kind of construction logistics manager. So I was out in the yard wearing, you know, car hearts and work boots and high vis vests. So I'm still the, the rough, rough looking guy. So <clears throat> I, I got shown to Jessica's office. It was this giant, bright, well-organized interior design office. She was just strikingly beautiful in her like white blouse and blue jeans and work boots, like very professional business. So immediately I'm just like, huh, way out of my league. This is not like sure she's gorgeous but she wants nothing to do with a guy like me so we shook hands we had a nice chat and then over the next couple of months i believe she just got out of a relationship i just got out of a relationship um there was kind of a core group of late 20 early 30s that worked at the the company so we all kind of had lunch together and we got to know each other a little bit more and it kind of turned into a, a dating thing and and i i, I guess i was take, a little taken back that she wanted anything to do with me but um, maybe the, the rougher bad boy look was what she was needing at that point in her life. And I was still kind of immature at the beginning of the relationship. We, we weren't really making it official because I had just gotten out of, um, an ugly breakup and I just wanted to kind of find myself. So I kind of always kept her at distance and I didn't want to hurt either of us. Um, and then it, I, it just clicked. The reason I was trying to stay single was to make sure I found what I wanted and my eyes just opened up one day. I was like, what I want is right in front of me. This is exactly the type of relationship 
I've wanted, but I've never been attracted to because I was always in a different world. Mm. So I was like, let's just, let's take a shot at this. It's right in front of me. I don't know what I'm waiting for. And that's kind of how it developed into this wonderful love that we're going to get married with, uh, hopefully very soon. Yeah. Hopefully with the world and yeah. Yeah. We just had to, we postponed, we were supposed to be married this June. So we postponed to August of next year, but you can imagine having everything booked, having everything lined up and now just dump it and try and reschedule for another year. So whatever, um, it is what it is. We'll make the best of it. Yeah. I'll have my fingers crossed for, for August. Appreciate that. Okay. (laughs) Um, one thing that you described previously was that Jess had your first impression of Jess was that she had her shit together. And it's something Mm -hmm. that because you described Jess in this, in such a nice way. And I really loved the story. But that was like one bit that kind of resonated with me. Can you speak to why that that maybe stuck with you through that story of this idea that, wow, she seems to really have her shit together and kind of what attracted you maybe as a romantic partner, like that particular trait to then stick out even now where you've kind of built this relationship and a lovely relationship from YC. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, what Uh, maybe stuck out there? I feel like that stuck out because the past 20 years I've had a self belief that I ain't got my shit together. And so immediately noticing someone else. And it's funny because she, she's younger than me. And even to this day, if I meet someone, they could be selling cell phones at a kiosk in the mall, but they're wearing a nice business attire and maybe they're making $15 an hour. They could be in their mid twenties. So I'm older, I'm more successful. I have more experience. But just without knowing that, just from the appearance, I feel like I'm below them. And I have for years. And so it was just um, kind of the appearance and the way that she carried herself. I immediately feel like they're more successful and more um, experienced in life. So they wouldn't relate to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So that that's kind of why it stuck out. I was like, gorgeous, so far out of my league. Maybe we can just be friends at work. I'm, I'm happy just to be around. <laughs> <laughs> and then those, um, in those early days of dating, do you remember the, the mo- when you said I had this moment where my eyes opened and I realized this was everything I wanted? Can you speak uh-huh. to what that was in terms of, you know, maybe the way she made you feel or the relationship you had? What kind of characteristics was, were things that you were like, my eyes are open this is it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in the past, the majority of my relationships would, um, they were either started or revolved around, you know, the bar. So drinking and, and then that makes it very easy for a relationship to stay in that area because that's where you're both kind of at in your life. And immediately I could tell that she was, she was an adult. She had a house, she had a dog, she was ambitious. She was career driven. And that's what I wanted to be rather than being stuck in, you know, drinking with the boys every Friday, going to the bar to play pool on Saturday. So I think that was the biggest transition. You know, you're, you're most like the, the people that you hang out with on a regular basis. And I saw she was in the position I wanted to be in. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there with her. And she's really helped me kind of realize there's more to life than the, the case of beer at the end of the week. And, you know, that's been a just a great part of our relationship. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. You then reached the year of 2018. 
Um, and it, yeah, I mean, it gave you some challenges from the prep that I was doing. And I guess the the first one was this idea of the medical battle that you had to embark on, which mm-hmm. was a battle with testicular cancer. Can you share a light on what led, what kind of allowed you to realize that maybe something wasn't right? And then the idea of the recovery process as you moved on. For sure. Uh, yeah. From what I've talked to a couple other guys that have been through similar experiences and, um, the way that they're notified of an issue is pretty similar. So I think that's important to talk on, but I started just out of nowhere. Um, I think it was August of 2018. I felt like my testicles had just swelled up. Like you got kicked in the nuts at the playground and they were just kind of heavy and sore. Mm. And, uh, they were, they were kind of painful for three days and then they went away and I'm back to the gym. I'm jogging. I'm totally fine. So you don't think anything more of it. Cause we're dudes. We don't go to the doctor unless right. something's broken. <laughs> And then two weeks later, they swelled up again. And I was like, oh, okay, this is weird. Like, they're really sore. Three days, completely gone. I feel fine again. So you're like, okay, that was, now you're kind of thinking about it. But you don't do anything because you're still, you're a man. And then two weeks later, it was like clockwork. Every two weeks, they swelled up again. I was like, okay. And looking back on it now, your body's trying to tell you something. It's having an inflammatory response to the body fighting something. But at the time, you don't think of it. So they... They went back down in a couple of days and I was just kind of feeling around to see if they're okay. And I felt it was just really lumpy on one of my testicles. And I was like, okay, I'm like, I don't even need to Google this. I know this is bad. So I went to, I went to the walk-in clinic and he told me straight up, he's like, um, it's pretty much guaranteed testicular cancer. Like I, I felt this a few times. We'll send you for an ultrasound. That's how they can figure out for sure. But you know, we're going to have to discuss treatment options. It was probably two months prior to all this. Jessica told me she was pregnant. So, you know, we were just riding that high of I'm about to be a dad. Everything is great. Now I'm thinking, am I even going to make it long enough to see what well, obviously testicular cancer is pretty survival. I got lucky. I caught it early, but that's the thoughts you're thinking. Like if you don't do something, it, it will take your life mm. plain and simple. So I went for the ultrasound they confirmed it. So by the time the ultrasound results got back to my urologist, the tumor had grown quite a bit, like it was very fast. So it was about half of my testicle was all bumpy and swollen. Like, so he said it had to come out tonight. So he told me to go home, um, pack a bag and meet him in the OR, but he needs to operate on this tonight. Mm -hmm. So I went home, um, smoked a bunch of weed to get comfortable, watched some movies, (laughs) went back to the ER and uh that's kind of when it hit me laying on the hospital bed before they rolled me in the thought that they're about to take one of the two things that kind of make you a biological male Mm. and i just kind of burst into tears it was difficult to deal with um so the removal process is actually much more intense than i thought i figured you were just kind of cut the bottom Mm. and just snip it out of the the scrotum because it's easily accessible there Um, they actually make incision through your lower abdomen. So, I mean, they're going all through the muscles and ligaments there and they pull it up from the top because they have to get the cord as well in case any cancer has spread. So the recovery, I mean, like if you're laying in bed and you try and lift your foot off the ground, you know how your abs engage. I, I couldn't, I could barely get off the floor for about a week. I couldn't walk upright for three or four weeks. The recovery time is about four to five weeks. I was off work for five. Um, pretty 
pretty brutal. I still have a decent scar there. It took a long time to be able to exercise and stretch and feel strength in those muscles again. Mm. Um, and then going forward, you kind of have, you get blood work every three months, you get a CT scan and x-ray every six months. So I just finished, I'm like two and a half years cancer free now. So I was like, like I said, caught it so lucky. They removed it. It didn't spread. Um, I know a lot of guys that are dealing with chemo and, um, still kind of fighting those battles. So early detection is key. Mm. Listening to your body, realizing that swelling and that pain was, was something important. And then just being self-aware enough to say, maybe this is out of my range of knowledge. Let's go get this checked. It doesn't hurt. It's 10 minutes at a doctor. Do your self-exam every month. It's really common in guys 18 to 35, that age range. And I can look back on it and even tie something like this to my experiences of being abused when I was 10. The more I've read about statistics, sexually abused children are generally 65% more prone to develop a chronic illness like cancer or something else. And if you think about it, the mental arena that put me in those experiences, all the negativity, all the drug abuse, the compulsive eating of junk food and constantly putting food that wasn't good for me and highly processed in my body that over 22 years, it's no surprise that cancer was developed inside of me because I, I smoked nonstop. I did drugs, all these things I can attribute to this. Whereas if I believe I lived a straight and narrow life, maybe I don't end up with cancer. So, um, I kind of relate that back to that as well, not taking care of my body. And, um, there's also, I've done some interesting research on kind of like the chakras, the different energy points of the body and sexual abuse is very much tied to the root chakra, which is around your, your gonads and your, your source of energy and all that negativity that I balled up for a long time manifested itself in a disease at that energy point, whether that's hokey or not, or scientifically backed it, it gives me a feeling of purpose and understanding that what you think and what you do and how you live your life has an effect on us in terms of our, our physical health as well. Yeah, I mean, I personally can't, don't think it's hokey. It's like the first thing that my head went to when you started putting those uh -huh. dots together of the idea of like the the previous trauma of sexual abuse. As soon as you said that, I was like, there's probably like an internal, the stress of that on your like unconscious and subconscious mind alone probably puts your body in a heightened state of stress and, sure. you know, just wear and tear for a lack of better term of, the yeah. idea of having to process that trauma without consciously doing it. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's no, like there's no surprise that that would also be an, a contributing factor in any, what any particular illness down the line. But so I guess the main thing that really comes up to me is this idea of thank God that you were, you had the acuity and the, the awareness to be like, this isn't right. Because I think of like, you know, you've, you've mentioned that you've been working in physical jobs, that you use exercise as a as a tool of, you know, just general decompression and, de you know, just a way of life. I'm fairly active. Like, I could easily, like, one reason why I wanted to ask what led to the, you being aware of the diagnosis was, yeah, I could probably go, oh, maybe I've, like, I've, like, accidentally hit my ball some way and the, you know oh no, it's probably I've just banged it against something and not really thought or, you know, done something exercise-wise where I'm like, oh no, it's fine. It's probably just 
something I've done. And then, you know, fortunately, you've kind of had the awareness to go, oh, no, I need to go check this out. So it is really that was one reason why I wanted to know that part of the journey as well mm. as, you know, the general, you know, you recovering this idea of it isn't something that we talk about. There is like an air of taboo about it, right? Have you found that with discussing it with people that like me that I haven't had it or I haven't had an experience like that before? I, I, th I think there is some taboo in that. I think there's taboo in speaking about um, drug addiction, financial stress, um, health effects that involve sexual reproductive organs, um, especially on the male side of things, because you try and put up this persona that you're a tough guy and you can deal with whatever. Um, before experiencing these things or before being open with them myself, I never really had these conversations with other guys. So I think there's definitely a taboo with it. And the funny thing is specifically through my Instagram account, the domesticated beard, when I do open up about these things, the amount of DMS I get from people that I know or people that I've never met before and how open they are about something they've dealt with. And they immediately relate to me by me sharing that. I've had some pretty seriously deep conversations with people over things that I've posted. And I feel like that gives them a bit of hope and it gives them an outlet to talk back and forth. Um, otherwise a lot of these things would never be discussed and they're stuck in that other person's own psyche and they never really get dealt with. So if I got to put my shit out there and be a little vulnerable and it helps someone else, it, it, it makes it all the while. And, not everything you share is going to be relatable and going to hit that chord with someone else. And sometimes I look back on my Instagram account and I was like, why did I post that? I'm full on crying and I'm being vulnerable and it's embarrassing and no one responded to it, but you have, you have to know your mission, which you're trying to help other people and you have to consistently put it out time and time again to make sure that it's in a visible place when someone does need to see it. So regardless of I get a good job at a boy every time I post a picture of me crying or, or, or talking about bankruptcy, I need to just keep doing it and keep doing it because it does help one person every here and there. And that's all it's about. So I'm trying to break that taboo a little bit and put myself out there to let the other guys know I can do it. You can do it. If you're not ready, you can talk to me about it. And that's it. Just trying to be a resource for the community and build a little camaraderie with the boys. Yeah, it's um, I mean, firstly, the stuff you're posting about is amazing, and the thing that always strikes me when I think that way about anything I've posted in the past in terms of me being vulnerable about anything is that you also just there's probably for every one person that gets in touch with you, there's maybe five, ten, fifty people that it just improves their mood in some way or it gives them some sort of emotional reprieve in some way that they'll never contact you. Yep. And they'll 100%. just, you know, they'll listen to, you know, an, an interview you do and they'll be like, that guy's great. And that's actually made me feel a lot better. Like hearing his story of perseverance and they may never reach out to you or they see five posts that they like of yours and you put one up and go, Oh, okay. It's like, whatever. And it's like the sixth post. It's like, that's the, the trigger yeah, yeah. for them to be like, I've loved your stuff for months and, you know, just really happy. Da, 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 da. So I think that's one thing uh -huh. that maybe until someone says it or until you make it aware 
that you've you're probably impacting way more people than even you think through the dm conversation just them taking in what you've got to say yeah and a lot of the time some of those dms are hey i always love what you do i always read everything i'm so glad you're doing this and they'll just leave it on you know a happy accident post that you didn't really intend to connect with anyone but i, I do notice that because i'll scroll through something and it triggers something in my brain and a lot of the time it's just habit to keep going but I'll open up the direct messages and I'll tell them this really struck a chord with me. Keep doing what you're doing and encourage them. So I'm conscious that a lot of people take value from it, but you never hear about it. So I always make sure I try and communicate that back to whatever creation someone had or yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's for sure happening. It, it definitely hits home with a lot of people that you, you'll never know about. Yeah. I think, <laughs> look, it's a, it's off topic slightly, but I think about it with the podcast. I just assume no one, None of the, my friends listen to it, right? So yeah. when I bump into someone, you go to like a pub or a bar and they go, hey man, I was listening to your podcast. Like, that's great. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? I'd never expected you to be listening to this. <laughs> like, what? So I've had like, I've had a few of those where I'm like, yeah, it would have been nice if you had just like said it once, you know, just say, <laughs> just be like, hey, I listened to this episode. It was great. <laughs> you never know if people are doing it just to have something to say. But I've definitely right. had a few people where it's like, wait, what? They listen? Just never expected it. So You yeah. just got to keep going. That's right. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess the second, I say secondary part of what was a tough year, it's, I only say that in the idea of it was second chronologically, as I remember, but it was through Jess's pregnancy mm -hmm. and coming nearer to the end, I still don't know would it would it be labeled as a miscarriage or is that the correct terminology? I'm really sorry for the ignorance on this no, one. No, 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 and that's okay. I think we were no, it wasn't a miscarriage. So okay. she actually we actually had complications with the pregnancy. So yeah. I'm cured of cancer. We're back on track to be mom and dad. I'm just down one ball. Yeah. Life is great. Uh -huh. I'm happy. We're healthy. Um, we it was coming up to December. We had a ton of traveling planned for the holidays. We were going out to visit family and. BC, Ontario, down to Florida, all these trips and hotels booked. It was going to be great. We had one checkup prior to leaving in the middle of December. And they, they measure the woman's cervix, the muscle at the bottom of the, the uh, I'm not an anatomy professional, but the uterus or whatever that holds the baby in there. So that muscle measures and there's a range of millimeters that it's supposed to be within. We were on the lower end of the millimeters. So nothing to be alarmed about, but they said, they wanted us to come back in a week and double check before we do our traveling. So we came back in a week and the muscle had shrunk even more and she was one centimeter dilated. Now we're in trouble. That opens up the amniotic sac to infection. So the, the situation she has is called an incompetent cervix. The, the muscle's not strong enough to hold the weight of the baby. So we were at about 21, 22 weeks. The baby's starting to put on some weight. The muscle's given away. So they have to do a procedure called a, a cerclage. So what they do is they push, like the amniotic sac with the baby had come out a little bit and it was exposed. So there's danger of that becoming infected with bacteria or whatever. So you push it back up with a balloon. Mm -hmm. They take the cervix and they put two thick stitches in it to hold it and give it strength. And they pull the balloon back up. So the issue is the amniotic sac has been exposed. If you push it back up and there's an infection and you lock it in there, that's not good for the baby. That's you're, you're going to end up terminating the pregnancy. 
so she got the surgery. She's feeling good. They released us. We come home um, over the next week or two. She experienced some pains. Um, we ended up going back. She had to get tests, and I there was you know there was an infection in in the uterus. So the body is trying to terminate the infection to save the mother. Um, at a point when she was getting an examination done, her water broke. We're at 23 weeks. You know, water breaking is the first stage of of birth and there's really not much you can do to turn back the clock there so i mean at 23 weeks pregnant we know we're not in a good position we had just had like a 3d ultrasound we saw the baby she was happy healthy moving we have all these pictures of her we had a name picked and you know it's it's real at this point the water breaks we immediately start crying and she had to get rushed in to surgery to remove the stitches or else the body will rip so we removed the stitches and we sat there for like 48 hours waiting for our daughter to be born, knowing that she's, you know, as soon as she comes out, she's going to lose all ability to breathe and have her heart beat. And the doctors tell us that 23 weeks, there's nothing you can do. So you want to talk about drained. I mean, just, just crying for 48 hours straight, uh, having our first daughter be born, not breathing, and then having that, you know, maybe spent an hour, a couple of pictures and having to say goodbye. Even now, like <laughs> it's so difficult to talk about. It's been, you know, it's two years last December already. It's unbelievable how fast that goes by and how raw those feelings are. Um, yeah. Parents not supposed to say goodbye to their child at any point in their life. Uh, that's going to be a difficult one to deal with even till the last couple breaths I take, <laughs> even when I'm 80 or 90, I'm going to be missing our daughter, Scarlett. Right. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, 2018, that was December 30th, right at the end of the year, kind of closed out a, a difficult one. So with, uh, with cancer, I kept telling myself I was going to make it the best thing that ever happened to me. And then this happened. I remember just being in the darkest place ever with Jess, um, trying to console someone you love over something you've both lost is difficult. So I, I'm trying to live up to my potential for Jess and for the memory of Scarlett. So I'm also trying to make Scarlett the best thing that ever happened to me. And in the effort of sharing everything, I'm trying to make the sexual abuse the best thing that ever happened to me. So just taking the most negative things in life and trying to find a positive and trying to flip it to put some good back out into the world is now my mission in life. So um, fond memories of her. Uh, we, we have a daughter now. Um, she's Layton. So uh, she's six, 16 months now. So every morning we have a picture of Scarlett in the hallway just outside her room. So we come out, I'm hugging her. She kind of puts her hand on her face and we both, we both say good morning to her big sister and um, just trying to make that memory uh, a positive one. And that's another thing I don't ever hear guys talk about is child loss or pregnancy complications. So yeah, it's absolutely difficult, way more difficult on a woman because that was, she was, she was, you know, making a human and I, the difficulty Jess had to go through after that is just un, unbelievable to me, but it also, it, it weighs on the guy and the guy needs to take care of himself as well as be supportive and understanding to his partner. So 
there's the motivation to share in this one. And, and again, just another experience that I'm hoping someone finds related, relatable information in. Yeah. I, I mean, firstly, I've got no doubt because although the situation is pregnancy complications and although that, but it does stem into like another, another thing that I feel like any guy in a relationship ever has to deal with, which is, the idea of you're confronted with two challenging situations, but they're so different in terms of one, you've only got to worry about yourself, right? This idea of the cancer, it, it almost simplifies the journey because it's, I've got to get healthy. That's all I have to worry about. Right. <coughs> Apologies there. Um, but secondary is that being, being able to see someone that you love as dearly as you do with a romantic partner go through something, it almost, it adds a different layer, right? That you've got to not only have your own grieving process, but you've got to see someone that you love every day in pain, which I think pregnancy complications is one thing, but that's something that most guys, I know loads of guys that have gone through certain situations that, that, seeing their partner go through pain is something that's even challenging to verbalize because it's there's an element of the uncontrollable you're faced with un an uncontrollable situation that you can't control you can't just fix right right um yeah when we got home from the hospital i remember i would just hear crying in one end of the house and it, it would either be her and she would be trying to keep quiet so i didn't hear it where I would go down in the basement and just bawl my eyes out because I didn't want her to have to deal with my shit. But it was just weeks of this dark, dark storm cloud over the entire house. And it was just, uh, I, I've never had an experience like that before. And you're, you're right. Trying to fix something for someone you love that's unfixable, heartbreaking. And, and then on top of the loss of the child, you're, you're trying to deal with someone you love in pain as well. It was, yeah, very difficult, uh, difficult thing to work through. Yeah, I mean, so for me, it says everything about the human being that you are, that you have the the strength, because they say, right, that this idea of strength really is the idea to be able to face something tough, face it, not ignore it and go, oh, no, I'm too tough to feel those feelings. You wholeheartedly felt the feelings and then used it as fuel to help build what you've got going on now and it and it shows as you as a you with Leighton which is like it just makes my heart warm knowing your story and now looking at the life that you live with Leighton how have you found that process over the past did you say six was it 16 months Leighton 16? yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um yeah <laughs> the most exhausting rewarding entertaining experience i've ever had just the sleep deprivation is real the the midnight feedings the up every night now it's kind of uh she's starting to walk so she moves real quick she can get up the stairs and over the couch and she's starting to communicate a little more mom dad more little hand signals her personality is really coming out she is just chatty so chatty uh it's the yeah it's the greatest experience i've ever had i never i always felt like i wanted kids i never felt like i was at a point where i'm like all right now's the time i'm ready let's go uh it just it it wakes you up 
<laughs> in a hurry. I'm looking at a picture of her right now and I know she's just <laughs> sleeping in the other room. And it's funny because every night we put her to bed and me and Jess will be just laying in bed, having a conversation and it'll just, it immediately turns into, oh, she's so funny. Did, did you see her do this today? Or Jess is looking at pictures in her phone. And when, when, when some of my friends have kids for the first time, and then you look at their Facebook and all it is is baby pictures. Just like, this is so annoying. Like, okay, we get it. You have a kid, but now I'm here and I'm just like, I can't shut up about her. So it, <laughs> It's a, it's again, it's just an instinctual thing. Uh, and I'm so proud and excited to pass on the experiences that I've learned and um, developed to her and just put her in the best position to succeed growing up. So that I'm, I'm excited to share that with her and, and watch her experience everything because everything is new and exciting to her and it just lights up her eyes. And I, I love it. Yeah, it is. It's, um, yeah, learning about your story and it like reframed seeing you as a dad almost in a way because yeah of course the natural thing for me that's you know 28 single doesn't really have any intention of kids when i see someone posting about kids a lot that is the natural reaction of like okay we get it like you got kids and even if yeah. that's like that probably has dissipated as i've got older maybe when i was like early 20s i like really just couldn't care less oh, for sure but now yeah. i'm kind of older it's i understand the beauty in it a bit more but this idea of now knowing what you've battled through to see you of late and it almost it's like a real it just makes my heart a lot warmer seeing it now through um learning your story more so that's why i've kind of i wanted to talk about this way earlier but i oh. think it frames it now appropriately kind of through what you've battled through and to see you now as a dad is just really awesome. Mm -hmm. um, That's great. One thing that I'm naturally quite curious of is because you do a lot of the way, a lot of the topics that you cover through podcasts and social media is through past kind of traumas in different, different varieties. How have you found this idea of, because there is an, there is a secondary option of that. You could have just said, you know what? I don't want to ever talk about this shit ever again. Yeah, it fucking happened, but I just have no interest in talking about it ever again. And you could have left it as past and maybe really detached and dissociate. But how do you, how is like, how is that emotional process of talking about it on platforms like this, on your own social media channels and maintaining a real attachment to it when there potentially is the option of just going, you know what, fuck this, like that shit happened and I don't want to talk about it ever again. I think that's the route that's more natural to take to kind of internalize it and never speak about it. Um, <laughs> after I was diagnosed with cancer, I was on YouTube and I watched every testicular cancer video I could from anybody about his experience, what he went through, how fast he recovered that it's, it's the unknown, right? Like I, I wanted to know about other people's experiences and that was an easy route to go. So when I got, I didn't, I didn't even tell my parents I was diagnosed until I got home from after surgery because they live across the country. I didn't want them to worry about it. Um, I was about to become a father. I had that feeling of my child dealing with a, a life-threatening disease. I didn't want them to be threatened by it. So yeah, actually I, I got home <laughs> We set up my bed in the living room because I was about to watch every Marvel movie in the history of mankind because I had weeks of laying there. 
and I was eating my, you know, my weed gummy bears. I had a nice little buzz on <laughs> and I just pulled up my phone and I started doing a selfie video and I explained to Facebook, I just had surgery for testicular cancer and I was all gummy bared up and I, I, sh- I just hit post and I fell asleep and I totally forgot about it. A little embarrassed when I woke up right, yeah, yeah. and then the response, the response and the shares and the comments and how many chords that struck with people from me just being honest, that really hit, hit a chord with me. And I remember the hope that I got from watching other people's stories on YouTube. And I was like, Hey, well, maybe, maybe I can be part of that for the next guy. So let me start putting out some stuff. Then we had the unfortunate passing of our daughter. And I thought that was another situation. So I started talking about that. And honestly, the response from people taking in what I was saying was really what snowballed it into kind of my life's mission of trying to help someone else that's dealing with a similar thing. And the more difficult things that I've dealt with, the more opportunity other people have to relate with me. Someone might relate to me on the child loss. Someone might relate to me on the cancer, the drug abuse, the bankruptcy. So I'll just put it all out there and try and try and help as many people as possible. So that was the motivation, the thought process behind it. And, you know, thank God for those gummy bears that let me film a selfie video (laughs) in the living room uh, two and a half years ago. Yeah, I mean that that touches that particular point, that singular point touches a a real like life life ethos that I have that this idea of some of the most inane, just random little things kind of can change your direction in your life, right? In terms of you know, people expect you to have these big like huzzah, wow moments of like realization, but sometimes it is just you know, had too many gummy bears, stuck a fit, stuck a phone in my face, and now my life's completely changed. That's that. Yeah, it's really funny the snowball effect that has. But um, yeah, I was just having a good little high time by myself, and it, it rolled into helping other people and giving me a purpose in life. So yeah, I want to talk about you and Jess setting up the domesticated beard. So mm-hmm. because. I feel like, firstly, it's like the first thing anybody ever says to anybody with a beard, right? So, hey, dude, nice beard. Like, so this idea of I've never grown my beard to the length I've grown it now. Um, I It was the first time that I kind of, I'll give my like beard testimony, as it were. I have like really sensitive skin. So when I grow it out, it gets really dry underneath. It gets really itchy. Um, I live in London, so it rains and it's cold like 10 months a year. Um so it it just it gets to a certain length and i'm like right i'm done i just can't do it um gets to a pandemic where i haven't got to really look impressive for anyone and just self-image means fuck all so i was like let me just grow out but let me actually try and start doing some like self-grooming stuff and it leads us to the domesticated beard i actually want to hear about firstly i want you to explain what the domesticated beard is and kind of what led to the journey that where it is now uh-huh. Well, the, the domestic, we have a couple um, Instagram accounts, but the domesticated beard is kind of me sharing my, my personal story yeah. and making those connections with other people. Um, prior to that, we have this grand vision that if we could be self-employed, I can put more energy into my mission of trying to help other people. Yeah. So I had been making my own beard products for um, about three years at that point. Cause I was not really overly satisfied with anything on the market. I like the bombs because they have a bit of beeswax. So if you use, um, 
the, the low heat on the hairdryer, the beeswax kind of helps straighten it out a bit. So I started making my own things and it just progressed into maybe this could be our, our source of um, entrepreneurial income. So she started designing some labels. We went through Health Canada. We went through um, testing out a whole bunch of ingredients, trying to source the most natural, cleanest ingredients possible. Nothing is mixed with vegetable oils. Everything is um, ethically, ethically sourced even down to the way that the carrier oils are extracted. A lot of the time they're extracted with a chemical process and hexene is used and laboratory tests have shown that traces of hexene, the chemical can be found in the carrier oil in that chemical extraction process. So we, we make sure that we use, you know, steam distillation or friction press, no chemicals in the manufacturing process because the clean starts at the processing of the ingredients that you're using, not just in the ingredients saying they're clean and natural. I want to know how they're produced. So that means paying a higher value because that production method has a lower yield of oil. Obviously chemical is going to be more cost effective. So we really focused on making the best product we could for myself because I have concerns with my testicular cancer and I want to make sure I'm using as natural as I can. So we kind of translated that into the business and sales started off pretty, pretty great. Um, we're really proud of the products down the line. We do want to expand to be more of a grooming line. So shampoo, uh, conditioner, soaps, um, deodorants, just get away from the, the large scale manufacturing where the dollar and the profit is the main driver. You know, we, we need to make a bit of income to allow us to be able to continue progressing the company, but we want to make sure that we're offering the best product available at the best price. And it's something that I use on myself. So I'm confident in the manufacturing process and how it was put together. So that's really been the mission with uh, the beard line called domesticated men. And then, and then from there, I didn't want anything to do with the podcast. We both work full time. We have the baby, we had the beard line. We were pretty busy as a couple just really pushed for this. I also had some reservations because I felt like, well, nobody's really going to want to talk to me. And you have that kind of lack of self-confidence. She pushed for it. I've really enjoyed the project. Like you said, maybe we're not the most extroverted people, but this gives us an opportunity to really dig into those weird spots in our brain and have the conversations that we've always wanted to have with interesting people. And then you just get to share new life perspectives and everything from one another. And so it's been a really busy start to our entrepreneur life we're both still working full-time it's fun to have something to work on on a daily basis with her and something that's so rewarding like projects like this it just makes life that much more enjoyable yeah i love what you've built and i can mm -hmm. tell that there's someone there's someone in the background whose attention is probably a bit more valuable than mine so i do i think she's awake now the wife is dealing with that yeah <laughs> These are really good mics, eh? She's she's all the way down the hall, and you pick it up on the mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and she, yeah. um, yeah, and she's putting in a great performance. So perfect. <laughs> yeah, she's got some lungs on her for sure. Um, so Brandon, before I ask you the final four questions, I want you to plug everything that you have going on. How can people hear more about you and get more Brandon in their life? And can you just shamelessly plug everything that you've got going on? Sure. The, the easiest way is Instagram at the domesticated beard. Um, on that main page, we have the link to domesticated men, which would link you to the website where you're, um, you're able to buy all our products and we ship worldwide. 
also underneath that is the the link to the podcast account which is the domesticated beard with jess podcast mm -hmm. um we're still working recording some episodes we haven't released yet uh hopefully in about a month but it's a really you know we're just talking to interesting people uh in our community whether it's entrepreneurs it's about child loss it's about drug abuse self self-improvement anything that we feel is valuable to us and in our development we're just trying to share those stories with as many people as possible so that that's that's the best field good project that we got going on right now and that's it instagram the domesticated beard everything is kind of linked off that that's where we kind of built everything from and um yeah i i enjoy every part of it that's awesome so that stuff is in the show notes guys so please delve into that right brandon final four questions these are questions that i ask all the guests and they are kind of more general big life as it were so the first question, if I was to give you a megaphone that spoke to the entire world and you could share one message, what would it be? I'll share the most important message that I've come to realize in my development. But if, if we're constantly trying to spend all our time pleasing other people, ultimately you're not going to please the most important person and that's yourself. If, if I was always concerned with having other people like and accept what I'm doing, that I never focused on the things that I think I should have been doing all the time. So. I really try and turn that focus on taking care of number one so that I can be of service to other people rather than the other way around being service to someone else and, and having my, my own well being um, not managed properly. I love it. That's awesome. Number two, what's your biggest personal struggle that not many people know about? I still have a difficult time with my relationship to food. I use food as a coping mechanism. So I have a tendency to overdo it with junk food. And if I'm having a bad day or if I have too many gummy bears, I might really take in a lot of processed calories and I immediately hate myself after the fact. But that's that's a deep rooted mechanism from my early 20s. And I still struggle with that quite a bit, actually. You're singing to the choir there. That is a massive <laughs> yeah. struggle of mine. Um, uh -huh. Number three. What are three personality traits slash characteristics that you would say you've built your life upon up to this point? Um, we'll do most recently because I think I've, I've developed some better ones later in life. Uh, the first one is openness. I try and even if I have beliefs on a subject, I try and be open to listen to someone else's interpretation of a situation. And I want to be relatable in the fact that you can discuss things that maybe you don't agree with. So I think that's an important trait. Honesty. Um, I have no problem being vulnerable. Things that have embarrassed me in the past, it's important to own up to those and accept it and realize that your past is not your future. So I, I'm, I'm very comfortable being honest these days. And then curiosity. I'm always trying to understand things more, to look within and look at the reasons why I've made decisions or done things in the past. So openness, honesty, and curiosity. So that's that's pretty much what I, that's how I feel these days. I love it. Yeah, I appreciate that's quite challenging because it's almost like you've lived multiple lifetimes in a in yeah. one so far. So yeah, right. I really like it. Um, the final question, this is probably my favorite question that I get to ask anybody. Many years into the future, your time as Brandon Flood is coming to an end. The person closest to you only has one sentence to describe you and your time here on earth. What would you hope that would be? 
I thought about this one for a little bit when I was going over the questions and I settled on just a nice short one. Rest in peace to the comeback kid. I just want people to look at me and say that motherfucker turned things around and he made a positive impact even when he was dealt kind of a shit hand from the get go. Uh, I want people to be inspired that I lived a fulfilled life coming from a difficult start. I love, yep. I love it. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Brandon. I really appreciate your time, your vulnerability and everything in between. Um, for those of you that are listening, please, please check out Brandon. I cannot recommend the content that he puts out enough and yeah, just an amazing story that, you know, it far surpasses this episode. So thank you very much, Brandon. I'm greatly appreciative of your time. I appreciate the opportunity. This was a great way to start the weekend. And uh, I'm going to hit you up for your address in the emails. I'm going to send you some great beard products and see if we can take care of that sensitive skin you got there for you. Okay. That is an absolute dream. We will work that awesome. out. Thank you so okay. much, Brandon. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye.